The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Mark. At the sight of the crowds, Jesus' heart was moved with pity for them, because they were troubled and abandoned, like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, The harvest is abundant, but the laborers are few. So ask the master of the harvest to send out laborers for his harvest. Then he summoned his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to drive them out and to cure every disease and every illness. The names of the 12 apostles are these. First, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon of Cana, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Jesus sent out these twelve after instructing them thus. Do not go into pagan territory or enter a Samaritan town. Go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. As you go, make this proclamation. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Cure the sick. Raise the dead. Cleanse lepers. Drive out demons. Without cost, you have received. Without cost, you are to give. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Our readings today, in combination, turn on the issue of decision. Not our decision-making, but God's. We hear in our second reading from St. Paul the marvelous statement about God's decision for you and for me, and about how absolutely remarkable that is. He speaks of the Lord dying for us, and then he says, Essentially, think about for whom you would actually lay down your life. Not in a shallow way, but in a serious way. If you would lay down your life for someone, who would that be? And for most of us, that's probably a pretty short list. And so St. Paul pauses in wonderment over this, thinking that, Maybe if someone was really good, and I knew it, and I experienced it, I might be willing to bring my life to an end for that person. Maybe. But at least that's thinkable. But what about someone whose goodness is not so clear? 
What about someone who actually has been unkind, and not just in general, but to me? Would I take my life and lay it down for that person? And Paul is speaking out of the mortal gravity of that question. It's not for whom would I sacrifice. It's not for whom would I be inconvenienced. It's not who would I help out if they needed a favor. But who would I literally lay my life down for? What a remarkably powerful question that is. And so St. Paul then encourages those to whom he is writing to pause with that and say, now take another look at God and understand that Christ died for you and for me and for us. And not because we're so holy and not because we're so wonderful and certainly not because we've never offended him. Rather, it was precisely because we were sinners who offended him that he chose to lay his life down for us. Note the strength of that decision. Note the strength of that statement of, I have decided for you. And my decision is so firm, so strong, so complete, I will decide for you with myself and my life. What a remarkably powerful statement that is. What a remarkable testament to the love of God, which is why St. Paul says, if you want to know the greatness of God's love, consider this, while you were his enemy, Christ died for you. And St. Paul basically says, and who dies for his enemy? Who does that? And yet this is the way of God. This is the strength of that choice. It's the same choice anticipated that we hear in our first reading as the Israelites gather at the foot of Mount Sinai, where the Lord again says, consider everything I've done for you while you were slaves and unable to free yourselves, while you were a people robbed of your dignity and robbed of your hope, I decided for you. And you didn't free yourselves. My arm reached into your slavery and brought you out. And I am the one who, even through the desert, brought you here because I decided for you. I chose you. It is not you who choose me, the Lord says. It is my choice of you that determines everything. I have decided. 
And then we see in our gospel reading today, the Lord calling 12 to himself. Again, not 12 who chose Jesus, but 12 that he chose. But why has he chosen them? It's because he's chosen this people of lost sheep. He's chosen this people of hearts that wander away and find themselves lost. It's because he has chosen this world, which has wounded itself with its sinfulness and needs a salvation that it can't find on its own. And he calls these 12 to himself so that he will send them out into the world. Know what he says. Go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Go to those whom I have chosen and yet who have wandered away. Go to those who can't find their way back. Go to them not because they've chosen me, but because I have chosen them. And I desire that they not be lost. Go to them. And so we see here now the mission of the church is the continuation of the choice that God has made in Christ his Son. I chose you. Why is there a church? Why are there apostles who are sent? Because God has chosen us. And they will go at the service of that choice to find those whom God wants to gather to himself. That's why we're all here today. Whatever initiative any of us might have personally taken this morning, and in my case it's pretty easy, I just have to roll out of bed and I'm here. But whatever initiative any of us might have personally taken this morning, no one of us is here merely because of his own decision or her own decision. We're here because at some point, that choice of God for us through his church found us. Some of us in our infancy when we were brought to the waters of baptism. Some of us in our adulthood. But somehow, that apostolic impulse that Jesus sent out into the world found us. And because we were found, we have the chance to respond. Note how wonderful that is. And note how it doesn't begin with us deserving anything. It doesn't begin with us earning anything. It doesn't begin with us having to say, you know, when I get a little better, I'll turn to the Lord. Because the Lord doesn't need to wait for that. He's already decided for you. He's already decided. And what the Lord says to those 12 apostles that he sends out into the world is marvelous. He tells them how they are to discharge their mission and not by giving them that list of miracles to perform. Sometimes we make the mistake of focusing on those things because they're dramatic. Raise the dead, heal the sick, cure the lepers. And you're like, wow, wouldn't it be cool to have that kind of power? 
But that's not what the Lord really wants them to do. What he wants them to do is that last line of the gospel. Freely you have received. And so freely give. What a marvelous statement of the very essence of what it is to be the church founded by Jesus Christ. That people who first freely receive the goodness that God has without needing to repay anything, without needing to earn anything, here is salvation just accepted. Here is goodness. Open your heart to it. But don't do it reluctantly. Don't do it half-heartedly. Don't do it timidly. Learn to receive more freely. We have a hard time with that statement because we've all been disappointed at some point or other. If you've been alive for more than 10 minutes, you've been disappointed. And when we get disappointed, we lose the ability to trust. We lose the confidence. We begin doubting even the very best of things. It's too good to be true. It can't really be free, can it? No, you can't love somebody like me. If you only knew what I hold inside. And what happens? I lose the ability to freely open, to freely receive. But note that beautiful command, that beautiful statement, freely you have received. This is the great grace that Jesus gave his apostles first, the ability to freely receive, to freely receive the good that he has for them. And why? Because you can't give what you don't have. And so the church first receives. It receives freely, and in receiving, receiving freely, it can receive fully. And having received freely and fully, it can go forth to do likewise, to give without asking for payment, to give with a generosity of spirit and heart. For 2,000 years, this is how the people of God have really survived. Freely you have received. Freely you are to give. And note, what do we receive first? I have decided for you. And Jesus lays down his life for you. Not for somebody else, for you. We receive that. And in receiving that, there comes the capacity to love more fully, to live more generously, to be bolder and yet more humble in our goodness. Because we always begin with though, as those who need to receive. And the giving, note, it removes the condescension from the giving. It's no longer poor you, let me help you. It's from somebody else who needs to receive. Let me share with you what I've been given. I have decided for you. And it's absolutely marvelous that we have 
this issue in our readings today on this day where we celebrate fatherhood. Because the essence of fatherhood, my friends, is not biology. It's decision. Real fatherhood is not merely a matter of biology. Real fatherhood, fatherhood that merits the name, fatherhood that rises to the dignity of that beautiful word, rests on decision. This has been the case from the very beginning of the human race. Because men have always been able to produce life and then walk away. Fatherhood, real fatherhood is not merely a matter of engendering a life. It is a matter of deciding to stay and to raise that life and be present to that life. Note how wonderful that is when we think about it. Fatherhood requires decision in a way that few other things do. But the one who is going to be father to a child has to be more than the one who engenders the life. He has to make a decision. And the best of fathers, even though they may never have thematically said it, respond to those within their care with those very words we've been reflecting on. I have decided for you. Not because you've earned it. Not because you've done anything. But because I have decided for you. And I find you worth this decision. We live in a world where we want to reduce freedom to the ability to do whatever I want, often without commitment. And yet real freedom, again, freedom that values the name, is the freedom to choose and commit to a choice. The freedom to decide and to live according to that decision, come what may. And Fatherhood, precisely because of that, is not an easy thing. Why do, why do we have a crisis of absent fatherhood in some parts of our country? Because it's always easier to walk away. It is always easier to pay lip service to the commitment than to live the commitment. And this is why, in a certain way, real earthly fatherhood, lovingly lived, in a certain way shows forth an element of the image of God. That great Father who doesn't just create us, but refuses to abandon us. That great Father who despite our giving Him every reason to walk away, refuses to do so. That great Father who loves us even to the point of sending His Son even when we have rebelled and turned our back? Because it's not, the decide, it's not the child's decision that determines fatherhood. It is the father's. 
whether you have decided for me or not, the Lord says, I've decided for you. And the strength of this decision, the greatness of this decision, it's not a greatness of physical power. It's not a greatness of earthly fame. It is not a greatness of material wealth or status. And yet when it is lived, how remarkably firm it is, how unambiguously great it is in its quiet, steady strength. The essence of fatherhood, decision. And note that our great model of fatherhood is the God who has decided for us. The Lord who says, you will make your choice, but I have already made mine. And I will not lay it aside. I will not abandon it because I will not lay you aside. Our prayer then this day is that for all of us here present who are fathers, that this grace, this strength of decision, is something that can root itself more deeply, more fully, more fruitfully, and more beautifully in our hearts. That for our fathers, living and deceased, that the grace of Almighty God and the goodness of Almighty God always be theirs. Our prayer this day is for our families, because the essence of the family, likewise, begins with decision. We often make the mistake in our culture, which loves feelings so very much, to reduce love to an issue of what I feel. And while love involves feeling, love is always more than feeling. Love involves decision. I have decided for you. And note how wonderful it is that in just a few minutes, that same Jesus Christ who laid down himself for us is going to be right here on this altar. And Sunday after Sunday, what does the action of this altar say to us? I have decided for you. And the Lord is here. And we'll come forward and stretch out our hands. And what is he going to do? He is going to place his life in your hand and mine. However imperfect we are, he still lays his life in our hands. Sunday after Sunday for 2,000 years, I have decided for you, fathers, how many of you have had that experience of the grind of day after day after day? Good days, bad days, some weeks and months more bad days than good days. And still in the struggle of steadiness, I'm here because it's right. And I've decided for you. Note the steadiness and how that mirrors the steadiness of the Mass, Sunday after Sunday after Sunday for 2,000 years. And we stretch out our hands and we receive that decision for us.
right here. Let us receive it generously. Let us open our hearts to it fully so that when Mass is over, we can go forth and do what Jesus said. Freely you've received. Go. Go home. Go to work. Go to school. Go to your neighborhood. But wherever you go, you who freely receive, be sure to give freely as well. And our wish for all of you fathers is that that great freedom of giving always be yours. Amen. I invite all of those who are fathers to remain standing. Everybody else, take a seat. we turn first asking the intercession of that great father, Joseph, the foster father, the adoptive father, the man who decided for Mary and Jesus. Saint Joseph, with you and for you we bless the Lord. He chose you among all men to be the chaste spouse of Mary, the one who would remain at the threshold of the mystery of her divine maternity, and who, after her, would accept it in faith as the work of the Holy Spirit. You gave to Jesus legal paternity in the line of David. You constantly watched over the mother and the child with affectionate concern in order to protect their lives and to allow them to accomplish their destiny. The Savior Jesus deigned to submit himself to you as to a father throughout his childhood and adolescence, and to receive from you an apprenticeship in human life while you shared his life in the adoration of his mystery. You remain at his side. Continue to protect the whole church, the family born of the salvation of Jesus. See the spiritual and material needs of all those who beg your intercession. Most especially of all of those fathers here present who seek from heaven those graces most necessary for them to be truly strong and loving and wise as fathers in the care for their children and support of their families. Through you they are certain to find Mary's maternal face and the hand of Jesus to assist them. Amen. By the powerful intercession of our Blessed Lady of the Island and Good Saint Joseph, may Almighty God bless all of you fathers with his blessing. May he fill you with his goodness in heart, body, in mind, and in spirit. May he strengthen you, may he sustain you, and may he grant you that victorious and consoling peace that come to us only from him whom we rightly name. King of kings, Lord of lords, and very Prince of peace, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Happy Father's Day.